We're going to be learning in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, the second piece in Hilchus Gzela Aveda. This is Perak Tes Halacha Aleph. And this is again a very key conceptual piece in Rab Chaim. He's discussing a case which is similar to the previous piece where someone stole something and then damaged it. But in the previous piece, he's talking about when someone stole an object or a vessel and damaged it. In this piece, he focuses on the case where someone stole an Eved, a slave, and then damaged it. Now, slaves are an unusual status because they're more similar to land than they are to objects. So in halacha, we consider a slave like land and land cannot be stolen because a person can't take it with them. So wherever the land is, it belongs to the owners, even if someone else is occupying it. So Rab Chaim is going to explain primarily a comment of the Ravid. This piece does not focus on the Rambam. It focuses on the Ravid's view of the status of slaves if they're stolen and then damaged. The Rambam writes, Hagozal if someone steals land from someone else, so if they destroy the land, they are responsible for the damages. But if the land gets damaged on its own, so the thief did not damage it. So there's a flood or there's a natural fire. So then the thief does not have to pay for the damages because the land is always considered in the ownership of the owners. So the thief cannot actually steal land. He may be occupying it, but it still belongs to the owners. So the thief does not have to pay for damages unless he actively damaged it. So then he's a mazik, he damaged it, he has to to pay, but if the land gets damaged on its own, so the thief is not responsible because he didn't actually steal and take ownership of the land. Which is different than the halacha of metaltalin, portable objects and slaves, that if the thief steals a portable object or a slave and then it gets damaged, even though he didn't damage it, it got damaged, he's still responsible to pay for that. So the Rambam differentiates in this halacha the case of stealing land versus stealing metaltalin and slaves which work differently that the thief is responsible for any damages that happen to the metaltalin or the avadim that he stole. Now the Ravid questions why the Rambam is grouping slaves together with metaltalin and not together with land. So the Ravid writes, This is very difficult. Shehulo birkein, shaharei osav because the Rambam, in fact, earlier in chapter 3, ruled that slaves cannot be stolen. So they're actually like land. They're not like metaltalin. Because if a thief steals slaves and then they get old, so they're no longer able to work, the thief is able to return the slaves as is and say to the owner, even though there's been damage that happened to this slave because he can no longer work. So from this halacha, we see that avadim are the equivalent of karka. A person cannot actually steal them. So if there's damage, the thief is not responsible which is different from metaltalin, where the thief is responsible for damages, even if they happened to the object and he didn't do it. Now the Ravid adds in another point, which is that avadim are only like karka in a limited sense, only when it comes to the rules of the thief 
having to pay for damages. So mihu hani mile leinyan kachusha afalgad lo hadra gizela miha beena isa. The whole comparison of avadim to karka is only in terms of the slave getting weaker, so he got damaged. So even though the thief is not returning exactly what he stole, it's the same as land where he's not responsible for the damages. But says the Ravid, in terms of other halachas, whether they could be stolen and how they're acquired. So in that regard, the slave is like metaltalin and not like karka. Avol mikol makom nigzolim heim v'niknim a slave could be stolen, which is different than land, and they're acquired with yush. So if the owners give up hope of getting this slave back, then the thief acquires the slave. D'chsiv v'yoshev mimenu shvi v'amrinan ha'evich nishbo padu l'shem ben chorin achar yush lo yishtabed lo l'rishon v'lo l'sheni. If a slave is taken hostage, so they're acquired, so that's a form of stealing the slave, and still the person that took him acquires him once the original owners give up hope, they have yush of getting him back. And the halacha is that if someone redeems a slave who was taken hostage after the owners already had yush, so the slave doesn't belong to the original owners or to the person who redeemed him because he went free through being a hostage. Al-Malav Kikarka Dami. So we see it's not like land. Because the slave acquires himself through yush. So that's different than land, which cannot be stolen. In Eved, though, could be stolen. So now the Ravid is developing this distinction within the Eved, that in some ways he's like Karka, and in some he's like Metaltalin. If the Eved gets damaged, then he has the rules of Karka, that so long as the thief didn't do it, he's not responsible. But on the other hand, the slave is like Metaltalin, that he is considered stolen, and once the original owners have Yush, he belongs to whoever took him. So so based on this, the Ravid concludes, if the slave dies or he's burned, so now he's not just damaged, but he's totally incapacitated. So now the thief would have to pay because since the slave died, he can no longer return him to the owners. So now the thief does become responsible because since he stole a slave, he needs to return that slave to the owners, and if the slave is no longer here, so he can't do that, so he has to pay instead. So the Ravid differentiates, if the stolen slave gets damaged, then the thief returns him to the owners as is, and he's not responsible to compensate for the damages. But if the stolen slave dies, so he can't be returned, so then the thief is responsible to pay the value of the slave. So if the stolen slave is damaged, then it's like karka, and if the stolen slave dies, then it's like metaltalin. So the Magid Mishnah disagrees with the Ravid, and he says that slaves are entirely like Karka. They cannot be stolen, so whether they're damaged or even if the stolen slave dies, Either way, the thief is not responsible to pay because the thief didn't actually steal this slave. It's the same as Karka. So long as the thief didn't actively damage the slave, he is not responsible for any damages, even if the slave dies. Now, what about the Rambam who says that slaves are like metaltalin? They're not like Karka. So the Magi Mishnah says that is a mistake. The real version of the Rambam should just say that Karka is different from metaltalin. Take out that word, oh, 
avadim, because in fact, avadim are the same as karka. So there is no difference between karka and avadim. So according to the Magid Mishnah, the Raivid had a wrong version of the Rambam, where it differentiated between karka and avadim. That's why the Raivid had this question. But in fact, karka and avadim are the same. Now, Rab Chaim says, the Raivid, though, gives us his own version of this halacha, which is that there is a difference within the avadim. In some ways, they're like karka, and in some, they're like metaltalin. But why should there be a difference between the case where the slave is damaged versus where he died? And furthermore, based on this, the Raivid argues that a slave is acquired through Yush, which is not true of Karka. So if the owners give up hope of getting their land back, the thief does not acquire it, but he does acquire a slave through Yush. So Rab Chaim asks, how could that be? If the slave is compared to Karka, so why is he acquired through Yush? Now, in fact, Tosos in Babasra Memdalid proves from the fact that a slave is acquired through Yush that land must be acquired through Yush. So Tosos holds that since slaves and Karka are the same category, if Yush creates a Kenyan in the slave, it must also do that for Karka. But according to the Raivid, there's a difference that Yush works to acquire a slave, but not for Karka. But how could that be? If Karka and Avadim are compared to each other, so why don't they have the same halachas? So Rab Chaim's going to explain the view of the Raivid, and he begins with another question on the Raivid. The Raivid says clearly that Avadim are not acquired through Shinui Kona. So because the slave was changed, that does not create a Kenyan. And this is based on the Mishnah in Babakamat Sadivav, Gazal Kina If someone steals an animal or a slave and then it gets old, so it can't work, so the thief pays the value of the slave or the animal at the time he stole it. Reb Meir disagrees. If he stole a slave, he just returns it as is. And that's the view the Raivid ruled according to in this comment. Now, the Gemara explains that the debate between Reb Meir and the Tanakama is whether Avadim are acquired through Shinui. So in this case, the Eved changed because he got old. So according to the first view, the thief acquires the Eved. And according to Reb Meir, he does not. So that's why he returns the Eved as is to the original owner. Now, the Raivid who rules like Reb Meir, so he holds that Shinui Kone does not apply to an Eved. So why is Yush different? The Gemara in Gitin Lamed Zayin, which the Raivid referenced, says that if a slave is captured and someone redeems him in order to free him, so he does go free. So the Gemara explains that the cases where the owners already had Yush, so since they gave him up, the slave goes free. So we see that Yush affects a transfer. So why should there be a difference that Shinui does not create a Kenyan, but Yush does create a Kenyan? So Rab Chaim answers that there's a fundamental difference between a Kenyan Shinui and a Kenyan Yush. Kenyan of Shinui comes from the rules of Gezel. So part of the laws of theft in the Torah is that if the thief changes the object, it now belongs to him. So the concept of Shinui Kona is part of the category of the halachas of Gezel. As opposed to Kenyan Yush, which does not come from the rules of Gezel, it comes from a different case of Aveda, where the object is lost, the owner can't get to it. So that's originally where the rule of Kenyan Yush comes from, as the Gemara in Baba Kama Samech Vav says. Now, even though we apply Kenyan Yush to the case of Gezel, so if someone steals 
an object and the owners give up hope of getting it back, there is a Kenyan Yish, but that's an extension of the concept of Kenyan Yish that we're saying that someone who steals something, it's like that object was lost. So we're saying that Gezel has elements of Aveda in it and that's why there's a Kenyan Yish. So that's a key difference. When it comes to Shinui, that is one of the rules of Gezel, as opposed to Yish, which is a rule in Aveda, and we're saying that Gezel is also a form of Aveda. So that explains why Kenyan Shinui does not apply to Avadim, even though Kenyan Yish does. Because since Avadim cannot be stolen, they're like Karka, so they're excluded from all the halachas of Gezel, one of which is Kenyan Shinui. So since Avadim are not included in Gezel, by extension, they're also excluded from Kenyan Shinui. But Kenyan Yish is not because of Gezel, it's because of Aveda. And this Eved who was stolen is still considered in Aveda, just like a regular object that's stolen is considered lost, so to the Eved, even though technically he can't be stolen, but the fact that someone took him from the owners, so the Eved is like in Aveda, so that's why there is Kenyan Yish. Now Rab Chaim says that there's another similar formulation to differentiate again why Shinui does not apply to Avadim, but Yish does. Because Shinui is not actually a Kenyan on its own. So because something changed, the thief doesn't acquire it. Rather, once the object changed, so then the gezel acquires it. Since the thief stole this, so now he either has to return the object or pay the owners. Once the object changes, so he can no longer return it. So by extension, he now owns the object and he has to pay the owners. But that's not a Kenyan because of the Shinui. It's a Kenyan because of the gezel. The theft is what acquires the object for him. It just kicks in because there was a Shinui. Otherwise, he would have returned the object and not acquired it. So the fact that he can't return the object is what kicks in the Kenyan of Gezel. So that's why Shinui doesn't apply to Avadim. Again, once Avadim are compared to Karka, so they can't be stolen, so they also don't have the Kenyan of Gezel. So even if the stolen Eved is changed, it still does not create a Kenyan because there's no Kenyan of Gezel, as opposed to Yush, which itself creates a Kenyan, because it's like Hefker. If someone makes something ownerless, so that transfers ownership. So by giving up hope of getting this object back, it also transfers ownership like Hefker. So the Kenyan of Yush works on its own. It doesn't kick in the Kenyan of Gezel. So that's why Avadim, even though they can't be stolen, but they could be transferred through Yush, because once the person and gives up hope, so that Kenyan of Yush kicks in, even though there was technically no Gezel. Now, Rab Chaim points out that even according to the second formulation, we would still have to say that when a thief takes an Eved, there is an action of Gezel, even though technically it's not considered Gezel. So an Eved cannot be stolen, but there could be an act of stealing him, and that's what kicks in the Kenyan Yush, because without that Masa of Gezel, there's nothing to create a situation of Yush, because in order to have Yush, something has to happen to the object, that it's taken away from the owners. Either Aveda or Gizela, something has to change that the owners give up hope. 
So if we say that a slave can't be stolen at all, it's not even considered an act of stealing. So there's nothing to kick in the Kenyan Yush in that case. So we have to say that the thief could do a Masa Gezel, an act of stealing the slave, even though he can't actually steal him. So that Masa Gezel kicks in the Yush and that creates a Kenyan Yush, as opposed to the Kenyan Shinui, which cannot work again because there's no status of Gezel on the slave. So there's nothing to create the Kenyan once there's a Shinui. So the upshot of this discussion so far is that when it comes to Avadim, even though there is no Gezel, there is a Maset Gezel, and that kicks in the Yish. So a slave cannot actually be stolen in Halacha because wherever they are, they belong to their owner. In that way, they're like land, but there is an act of stealing them. Someone could go and take the slave, so they are no longer with their owner. And that Masa Gezel does have ramifications in Halacha. So based on this, says Rab Chaim, we could answer the original questions on the Raidid. The difference between Avadim and Karka is that when it comes to Karka, not only is there no Gezel, because wherever the land is, it still belongs to the owner. There's not even a Masa Gezel. A person cannot do any action of stealing land. So in that way, it's different than a slave, where even though the Halacha says that Evid and Karka are the same. Neither of them can be stolen, but an Eved could have a Maset Gezel. So this distinction explains the differences between Avadim and Karka according to the Raivid. In the case of Karka, a person cannot steal it and they can't do a Maset Gezel. Now, if the Halacha had been that one can steal land, so that works, so then it would have meant that the thief acquires the land and the act of stealing is the fact that he acquired someone else his property. So even though obviously he can't move the land, but the fact that he acquired it is what makes it stolen. So the stealing and the Kenyan of the land would all be the same thing. Once he stole it, it would be lost from the owners. So the Kenyan Yush would kick in. And since he acquired it, so that would mean that he stole it. But since the Halacha is not that way, it says that one cannot steal land. So it put an end to that whole process. Process. And since a person cannot acquire the land, so they also can't steal it in any way. So there is no Masa Gezel, which means there is no Yush because it's never really out of the owner's possession. So there's no possibility of the thief acquiring the stolen land. So the key halacha, which is said when it comes to land, is that it cannot be stolen. Once we know that it can't be stolen, we know that there's no Kenyan. So if there's no Kenyan, then we work backwards and we can figure out that there's no Masa Gezela. It never becomes an Aveda. So that's why the Kenyan Yush never kicks in either. So we can figure this all out in the case of land from the fact that the halacha says that land can never be stolen. So now the halacha that avadim are the equivalent of karka only means that avadim have the same rules of karka which were explicitly stated, but not the things that we ourselves deduct. So the only halacha that applies to avadim is that there is no gezel when it comes to an evet. So that is true. But the other component of the Masa Gezel, even though that follows when it comes to Karka, 
Karka, but it does not apply in the case of an Eved, because an Eved could be taken from the owner. So there is a Masa Gezel when it comes to an Eved. So that's going to kick in the Kenyan of Yush. So that's exactly what the Ravid says, that even though Avadim are the same as Karka, that does not exclude Kenyan Yush of an Eved, even though there's no Kenyan Yush on Karka, but that's not an integral halacha to Karka. That's a derivative of the fact that Karka cannot be stolen. But when it comes to an Eved, where it's possible for the Eved to be lost, even though he can't be stolen, so there, there is a Kenyan Yush, which means that there's a Masa Gezela. If someone physically takes the Eved, they've committed a Masa Gezela. This Eved now becomes an Aveda, and they acquire him through a Kenyan Yush. So that explains the distinction that the Ravid makes between Avadim and Karka, that even though Avadim are the same as Karka, when it comes to Kenyan Yush, it works for Avadim and not for Karka. Now Rab Chaim answers the other question on the Ravid. The Rambam begins Hilchos Gzela, Anyone who steals a value of a pruta over violates the prohibition of stealing. Now they don't get lashes because this is a lav hanitak Any prohibition in the Torah which is connected with a positive prohibition, so there's a way to fix it, one does not get lashes for violating the prohibition. So stealing has a positive mitzvah which fixes it. There is a mitzvah in the Torah to return the stolen object. So there's a way to correct the prohibition of stealing so there's no lashes for stealing. Even if he burned the stolen object so he no longer has it and he can't return it, still he still does not get lashes. Because there's still a way to fix it by paying the value of the object. So the Rambam says that if he has the object, he can fix the theft by returning it. And even if the object was destroyed, he can fix the theft by paying the value of the object. So Rab Chaim explains that the Rambam is saying that there are in fact two mitzvahs. One is if the stolen object is in existence to return it. That's the Heshiv Esagzela. And the second is if the object's destroyed, to pay money, and that comes from Vishilem, according to the Sifra in Vayikra. And this point is made clearly in the Gemara Makos Tezayin Amad Aleph. The Gemara asks that the sin of stealing, there should not be lashes for, because there's the Heshiv Esagzela. But if someone destroys the object, then they would get lashes. So the Gemara says there's no lashes even then, because they could pay. So paying the value of the stolen object is also a way to correct the theft. So we see that there's also a mitzvah to pay the value of the stolen object. So if we apply this back into the Ravid, this will explain the distinction that the Ravid made if the Eved is damaged versus if he dies. So now the Ravid, as Rab Chaim just explained, holds that one cannot steal an Eved, but there is a Masa Gezela. So they can do the act of stealing, but they don't actually steal. There's no status of being stolen that applies to an Eved. So that's why the Kenyan Yush applies, because that's tied into the Masa Gezela, 
even though there is no gezel for an Eved. So when someone steals an Eved, the Eved himself is not stolen, but they did do an act of stealing the Eved. So now if we apply that to the mitzvah of Hashava, of returning the lost object, so there is no mitzvah to return the Eved himself because he was never stolen. So the mitzvah of returning the stolen object does not apply to a stolen Eved. On the other hand, the mitzvah to pay money, that does apply to an Eved because there was a Maset Gezela. He was physically taken and the mitzvah of paying is related to the act of stealing. So based on this framework, when it comes to returning the stolen object, there is no mitzvah to return the Eved himself, but there is a mitzvah to pay his value. So that explains why if the Eved is alive, even if he changed, so he got damaged, but the thief just returns the Eved as is, and he has no more financial responsibility because there is no mitzvah to return this Eved. And since he never stole him, so there's no Kenyan Shinui, so the thief doesn't own him. So the thief does not own the Eved, even though he changed and got damaged, and there's no mitzvah to return the Eved, so he's not responsible for the damages, so he just returns the Eved as is, and that's the end of it. But when the Eved dies, so now there's a mitzvah to repay the value of what he stole, and that does apply to an Eved, even though he was never stolen, because there was a Masa Gezela, so there's an obligation to repay the value of the Eved when he dies. So that explains the difference between when the Eved died versus when he got damaged. And then Rab Chaim formulates this even more subtly, that when the Eved is alive, there's not even a Masa Gezela, because since he can't be stolen, so not only is there no Gezel on the Eved, there's no Masa Gezela either, because since the Eved, wherever he is, still belongs to the owner, so there can't be a Masa Gezela on something which was not stolen. But that's only so long as the Eved is alive. Once he dies, so now the Eved is no longer around, now the Masa Gezela kicks back in, and that's why the thief has to pay the value of what he stole. So this is a more subtle way to formulate the distinction why the thief has to pay if the Eved dies, and not when he's alive because the Masa Gezela can't kick in so long as the object itself is not considered stolen. So this explains the comment of the Ravid and Rab Chaim adds in, that's why he connects this whole issue with the Kenyan Yish. It's not unrelated. The Ravid is saying, since we see from the Yish that an Evet has a Masa Gezela because that's the only way the Kenyan Yish could work. So that's why also the thief has to pay the value of the Evet when he dies because there's a mitzvah to repay the value of what he stole. So the Ravid is not just stringing random halachas where the Eved is different from Karka together. He's proving a conceptual point that since there's Kenyan Yish, there must be a Masa Gezela on the Eved. And that's the exact explanation for why the thief has to pay when the Eved dies. And now Rab Chaim reinforces this. The Rambam in Hilchus Gneva Aleph Tess writes, Ha'eved Shiganav Potter Min HaKefel. If a thief steals... So he does not have to pay the fine of double. Ubal of Peturin, and the owners also don't have to pay. She'ein adam chayv al avadav. Because the person doesn't have to pay for their slave's damage. Afal pishain mimono. Even though the slave belongs to the owner. Mipnei sheyesh bahem da'as. Because the slave has his own intelligence. Ve'eino yocho l'shamran. And the owner can't stop him. Shem yachisenu rabo yelech v'yadli gedish be'elef 
If the master gets the Eved angry, the Eved will just go and burn down valuable buildings. And if the owner is obligated to pay for that, so then he'll lose everything. So basically, it's not reasonable to obligate the master for what the Eved damages because it will lead to chaos every time the Eved is upset at the master. They can just destroy things and the master has to pay. So even though theoretically the owner should have to pay for the Eved's damages, but it's not possible on a practical level. Now this comes from the Mishnah in Yadayim, which is quoted in the Gemara in Babakama. But Rab Chaim asks that the context of the Mishnah originally is talking about damages. So even though the general rule is Kolshum and Mono Shmiroso Olav Chayev Ben anything that a person owns, they're responsible for their damages. That's why someone is responsible if their ox damages because they own the animal. So the same should be true of their human slave, that since they own them, if the slave damages, they're responsible to pay. But that's what the Mishnah says, that since it's unreasonable because the human has their own intelligence and they could ruin the owner, so we exempt the owner from paying the damages for their human slave, which is different than other property that they own. But the Rambam applies this concept to the case of Geneva, where the slave steals something. So that's not the original context. And without the Rambam, we would have said that this halacha does not apply when a slave steals something because there's no reason the owner should be responsible. So why is the Rambam recording this halacha in the laws of theft and not in the laws of damages where it's originally said in the Gemara? So Rab Chaim explains that the Rambam agrees that if someone steals an object and then returns it, that obligation of returning only applies to the person who stole it, not to their owner. So if a slave steals something, he is obligated to return it. The owner has no responsibility in that case. But the Rambam holds that if someone steals something and loses the object, so now they have to pay money, so that applies not only to the person, but also to their owner. So a slave who steals an object and the object is no longer in existence, then not only the slave, but also the owner are required to pay the money because that's not only an issue of theft, that's also a mazik. So there, there's damages. Once there's damages, so we're back to the rule that the owner is also responsible to pay. So the Rambam held that ordinarily if a slave steals something and loses it, the owner would have responsibility to pay because that's an issue of mazik. Says the Rambam, the same leniency of the Mishnah applies in this case as well, that since it's impractical because the slave could go around and steal and destroy things and the owner will lose a ton of money. So in this case as well, there's a leniency that the owner does not have to pay even if the slave lost the stolen object. So that's why the Rambam records this halacha in the laws of theft to tell us the extension of this halacha. So now this analysis of the Rambam reinforces Rab Chaim's idea that there are two elements to returning the lost object. There's returning the object itself, which is hashava, and that comes from the gezel. If someone steals something, then they need to return it. And then there's paying the value of the object, and that comes from the masa gezela, the act of stealing, even if the person didn't actually steal, because that's the equivalent case of a slave who steals that the owner would theoretically have to pay for the stolen object, even though he didn't steal it. So he's not obligated to pay under the laws of stealing. He would have been obligated to pay because his property 
took someone else's property and damaged it. So we see that there is a track of paying for stolen objects that's connected with the act of taking the stolen object, even if it wasn't stolen itself. So the master doesn't have to pay because it was stolen. He has to pay because it was taken. So now that's the same thing that the Ravid was saying, that when it comes to taking a slave, even though the slave is not actually stolen, since the person took the slave, so there was a masa gezela, so they would need to pay the value of the slave if the slave dies. Now, if the slave is alive, so then they can just return the slave and they never go to the track of having to pay money instead. So that's the explanation for the Ravid's distinction. That's why the slave is different than Karka because Karka not only can't be stolen, it also has no masa gezela, so there's no need to pay, not the damages and not even if it's destroyed. So this is Rab Chaim's piece to explain primarily the comment of the Ravid about the status of Avadim being stolen. And Rab Chaim makes a few key conceptual points. First is the distinction between how Kenyan Shinui versus Kenyan Yush works. That Shinui is related to the Gezel or it kicks in the Kenyan Gezel. Whereas Yush works on a separate track, it's derived from the concept of Aveda and it works like Hefker. So that's the first key point. Second, Rab Chaim differentiates between Gezel versus Maseh Gezel. So Gezel means that the object itself becomes stolen, whereas Maseh Gezel means even if it can't be stolen, there could be an act of trying to steal it. So that's a key difference between Karka and Avadim. And then Rab Chaim differentiates two different tracks of returning a stolen object. There's returning the actual object itself, or there's paying the value of the object if it's destroyed. And Rab Chaim connects this with the two aspects of Gezel and Masa Gezel, that returning the object is if one stole it. But if they didn't steal it, they can't return it, but they might have to repay the value of it if there was a Masa Gezel. So now again, this piece touches on a number of important issues in the laws of Gezel and the laws of Kinyanim. And in the back of the Or Olam edition, they go through a number of the key points. In terms of the distinction between how Yush versus Shinui acquires things, so Rab Chaim's main student, Rab Baruch Ber, in the Birka Shmuel and Baba Kama Simen Lamed Hay, so he quotes having heard that from Rab Chaim, and then he brings a proof to it from a Rashba in Gitin. Now, the most creative point that Rab Chaim makes in this point is the distinction between Gezel itself versus the Maise Gezela. And the Maise Gezela can be done even if the object itself can't be stolen, like a slave. So long as someone takes the property, so they would have to compensate for what they took. And that's related to the laws of Mazik. So basically, according to Rab Chaim, even in the case of Gezel, there is an obligation to repay, which is related to the laws of Mazik. And that's called a Maisa Gezela, which is separate than the actual Gezel of acquiring the object. Now, in the back of the Or Olam, they quote from Rab Nochem Partsovitz in Babakama Daftal Ramad Aleph. So he quotes from from the Briskarov, that he pointed out that Rab Chaim does not mean that the obligation to compensate a Maisa Gezela comes from the laws of Mazik. That cannot be because a Maisa Gezela is still part of the laws of Gezel. So certainly the obligation to repay comes from the laws of Gezel, but it's modeled, the framework of it is the same as Mazik. So we apply the criteria of the laws of Mazik 
to this aspect of the compensation, which is included in the laws of Gezel. So that's an obvious point, but it's an important clarification. It's very hard to imagine that the obligation to pay back the Maisa Gezela, separate from the Gezel, is unrelated to the whole halacha of Gezel because it's included in those halachas. It's not at the end of the day a halacha of Mazik. So what Rab Chaim must mean is something more subtle, that even though this comes from the laws of Gezel, that's why the thief has to repay. But the model of it, how to determine when the thief has to repay, so that follows the criteria of Mazik. And in the back of the Or Olam edition, they quote a good amount of discussion on these points and other points in this piece from Rav Shach and Rav Shmuel Rizovsky and Rav Nachum, Rav Ephraim Mordechai Ginsburg, Rav Moshe Shmuel Shapiro, and others. So there really is a lot to say about this piece in Rab Chaim, and it opens up different ways of thinking about very important issues.